You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. Um, so first and foremost, if I can get everybody um, to do a quick introduction to themselves before we go ahead and jump into the questions. Um, so Kanda, if you'd like to go first, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So my name is uh, Kanda Kumar and uh, I'm working with uh, Ericsson. And I guess uh, you all know Ericsson, uh, we are in the telecom business and we are uh, one of the leading uh, telecom vendors in the world, as well as, uh, for instance, uh, we have the technology leadership in 5G, for instance. And we, within Ericsson, uh, see automation AI uh, also very significant. Uh, moving into the 5G technologies, we see it is not anymore an option, rather it's a necessity to manage the complexity of the variety of use cases we are faced with. And with that, uh, basically Ericsson has embedded, uh, you know, automation and AI in all our products and kind of services and so on. So then we're coming back to my role. So my role within Ericsson is uh, the head of intelligent automation and AI business transformation. So what uh, me and my organization basically do is that we work with all the kind of verticals uh, and horizontals across the company. We create awareness about these kind of disruptive technologies and how they actually can apply. And with that, what I really do is that we drive something called an AI-led radical transformation. And with that also, then we develop and deploy uh, automation solutions, uh, automation AI solutions. So that's a little bit of a brief of what I do and where I work. Passion from a work point of view, it's really uh, about technology and transformation. That's been my passion. I've been doing all my life, more or less, and the work life. Personally, I guess uh, now I have three small kids, so I'm very busy. So no time for anything else, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine you've definitely got your hands full with the three small children. (laughs) All lovely. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you very much for that introduction, Kanda. Uh, If Nina, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be lovely. Yes, so Nina here. I uh, live in central Stockholm together with my fiancé that uh, I met in uh, university. So uh, we have the same uh, data science background. I, uh, I I currently work at Swedbank as an AI engineering manager. I have a team of uh, uh, DevOps, MLOps engineers. Uh, what we do is that we are automating pipelines and and uh, kind of uh, whatever the data scientists have done uh, the, the machine learning pipelines. So it's um, uh, it's more automated. So automation, operationalization, and uh, we also care about the model quality. Um, I recently joined Swedbank for a few months ago. Uh, before that, I uh, I worked for several years uh, in Nordea, uh, where I had different uh, data management positions. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Lovely. Thank you very much, Nina, for for your mm-hmm. introduction. Um, if Matthias, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be lovely. Yes. Hi, Matthias Ross. I'm with Nodea still, at least. I uh, also father of three. Uh, I am heading what we call the AI Hub, which is about enabling and orchestrating AI across the Nodea Group. And you might know Nodea is a bank. It's the largest bank in the Nordics. So we're operating in, in the four Nordic countries. Um, my background is basically in management consulting back in, you know, 10 years ago or so, 
where I did automation the old way, you could say, shared services and process excellence and lean and stuff. And now, you know, we're doing more automation, in, uh, you know, with, with using new new technologies. So I've been part of Nordea's journey for robotics and chatbots and and later than AI and machine learning. Happy to be here. <laughs> And we're happy to have you as well, Matthias. Thank you very much for that introduction. And Christian, uh, last but certainly not least, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, nice introduction from the others. My name is Christian Goodman. Um, AI has been part of my career and my life for a very long time. I've done a PhD in this area and then worked uh, for, for many companies, startups and large organizations around the world, Middle East, Australia, the US. Um, I'm very, very fascinated and interested in, in the application of AI and in creating AI and then also applying it for business and looking as to how it can help the enterprise and how it can help uh, end consumers. Uh, now I'm the global head of um, AI and data at Tier to Every, uh, which is one of the largest IT companies in Europe, uh, doing our own software. I'm looking at productization. I'm looking at the strategy of the company, building the capabilities of the company. And I'm also the executive director of the Nordic AI Institute, uh, a nonprofit organization. And I'm also at universities such as the Karolinska Institute looking at um, how to uh, essentially research AI still in particular spaces, in this case, healthcare and medicine, for example. So that's in short my background. Wow, lovely, really impressive. Thank you very much, uh, Christian and everybody for your introductions there. Um, so we'll jump right into to the questions now then. Um, so the first question we'll go with um, is um, Candace, um question. So that question is, what are the risks and the benefits of AI and automation? Uh, so Kanda, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind your question and then I'll let everybody jump in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I'll just take a few minutes and just give my take on this uh, and I'll, I'll be happy to hear from others as well. I mean, yeah, when you talk about the uh, risks and benefits from uh, AI and automation, it's really broad. So if I even take a few steps back and think about it more from a human intelligence point of view, I, I feel that, or I believe that the civilization that we are living in is basically some kind of an outcome or a product from the human intelligence. So with that said, uh, you know, if you're now amplifying that intelligence with the artificial intelligence, I kind of see that it will have an exponential impact on humanity and we probably will have a civilization that we never even thought about it. However, uh, I also hear, we all hear from uh, uh, the, a lot of thought leaders uh, in the world about uh, what the, the risk side of it as well. So we, this could also have, I, I believe, uh, equally a devastating effect uh, on the humanity if the risks that comes along with this is not fully understood or managed or even addressed. I mean, for example, you know, um, autonomous weapons or whatnot, you know, that if it gets loose, it's that's not going to be a nice thing for us. But I just want to say that. But then let's go, uh, just come back, uh, keep that in the back of our mind. And I just wanted to uh, kind of zoom into, let's say, kind of some kind of business world that we are living in. And then I think uh, something kind of interesting happened in the last uh, few years uh, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. But it looks like most of the business really pushed uh, hard on the digitalization and put basically that on an overdrive. With that, I see a lot of uh, businesses uh, accelerated 
uh, into adoption of automation and AI kind of solutions. And I also see uh, many institutions like banks, like I see here, as well as insurance companies, telecom operators like us, they all are also kind of deploying automation solutions together with the AI solutions, you know, kind of trying to combine them to address the end-to-end -end flows. So with, with all of this, of course, there's a lot of benefits, uh, I see. So, uh, I mean, um, you could you could take a positive side of it and look at the benefits, and that will, uh, in my mind, will give you or any business the competitive edge. Uh, you know, you can have smart uh, decision making. You can derive insights with uh, by processing large quantities of data. Overall, the experience, customer experience or user experience will be enhanced. I mean, you can solve very complex problems, which was not that easy before. Then you have continuity, business continuity, or even the quality aspects will go up. Uh, then you have the repeatable tasks and so on that can be automated. So lots of lots of benefits. But in the end, I also see uh, the bottom line is that uh, it it gives you a higher productivity. It uh, gives you a higher efficiency, overall better experience, and probably the edge. You know, when it comes to the leadership. But however, you know, uh, but at the same time, if you look at the other side, the risk sides of it, that is where I see it is much more complex and in lots of new risks are emerging, like privacy, uh, security uh, with the GDPR and things like that. I guess we later on, we'll also talk about this bias and unfairness in, in our algorithms, fear of job, loss for the people, or even automating bad things, you know, bad processes without either reviewing it or radically rethinking or standardizing, all of that uh, is also a risk. And also one the last thing also uh, we, we have experienced as well in all of this in, in our journey, it's also some kind of unreasonable expectations from some kind of a, you know top management, you know, or as the sponsors where they expect us to deliver high uh, return on investments in a very short period of time, where there isn't probably, you don't even have the data or you don't even have the data foundation or the quality of the data. So that's another risk as well in all of this. So I'll just stop there, just a, a brief from my side and I'll be super happy to hear uh, all you guys uh, who are leading this area. Yeah, very good. Shall we, uh, shall I move on, Charlotte? Yeah. Hey, really good, Can I, I had to smile to regarding the last point you, you made yeah. and uh, perhaps we can expand on that because I think Indeed, it requires an assessment as to what the ROI is of these different types of technologies. And, and this is, in fact, also a bit the topic that I wanted to discuss here uh, in terms of what are the different automation technologies? What are the limits uh, of those? What value can each of these automation technologies create? What competences are necessary? And, and I would hope that answering these types of questions will help us then also to be more specific to sponsors and customers as to what can actually happen. But if I before I go in there and lay this out a bit wider, uh, as you also start, Kanda, you know, maybe maybe I can can add to this. As obviously, I've, it's very fascinating. I did a psychology degree first, understanding human. Uh, human intelligence, uh, human decision making, uh, and then I also took all that knowledge into AI and, and wanted to build machines that had the same ability. So, so this sort of ambition has driven me throughout my whole career and has brought me to to discussions and places, you know, which we all know, like singularity, uh, you know, can we build machines that are really powerful and so on and so on. So very extremely rich area. And um, <clears throat> so that's certainly that's certainly driving me still. When you start mapping that to the enterprise environment, which is the business and entrepreneurial part, which is is obviously, as for me, it's very, very fascinating and interesting. I see that um, AI as an automation technology has the potential to automate 
every single process in an organization. That's ultimately what we would be aiming for. Now, I, I know that what you mentioned before, this is certainly something one needs to reflect on from a society perspective, and it's not something that will happen next year. It will be talking about decades, but AI as a technology ultimately has the, has the goal of really automating very, very many tasks, if not all. <clears throat> so that's sort of from an enterprise perspective. And, and then, of course, it's the introduction of these types of services to the businesses, you know, which ones would gel first, which ones would actually create value in a sim simple uh, perspective and which ones would be introduced later. Um, the automation technologies, if I lay this out now, what I mean by that is um, uh, when I hear the word automation, many in the ecosystem would think RPA, robotics process automation. I think Nina alluded to it. I think Kamna, you're also in this space where you have essentially scripts, if and then rules, and you have a technology that is very is working with very repetitive and very deterministic tasks, right? So you would receive an email and you would download that that uh, that that PDF file, the attached PDF file, and it would essentially be put into some type of folder. That's a very easy example of some type of scripted sort of sort of automation. And these are very powerful automations that has been applied across the board, right? They are very powerful. They are auditable. You know, if something goes wrong, you can go back to these types of things, uh, to to these types of traces and what has been ha what has happened. <clears throat> the next step. Um, uh, would then be to start uh, introducing AI. And, and when you look at the just, just this example of, let's say, receiving an invoice or a purchase order by email, right? Um, that the person, if you had no automation at all, would have to do everything by hand, download the, download the invoice, enter all this information into the CRM system and so on. So RPA is taking parts of this process away. And if you add AI, it will AI will then be able to also read the email, understand the content, start to identify what the email is about and uh, store this particular invoice, let's say, as an example, into particular folder and also understand what's inside the invoice and potentially transfer that to to other systems. Right. So <clears throat> you have essentially a, a much more powerful uh, tool that enables you to automate and uh, and make this process more efficient, essentially. So, <clears throat> and then when when you got uh, that's when you got IA intelligent automation, I guess. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You can <laughs> probably yeah exactly. You can exactly you you can um, add both together, right? And then if you were to look at it from an eagle's eye perspective, you would have all these different processes. Some of them the user is still doing, some of them an if and then script is doing, and some of them such as for example scanning the content of a. PDF file or, or an email or something that would be an AI. And uh, what I mentioned before, like let's just take these two uh, automation technology, RPA and AI. Um, each of them require different, create different, creates totally different value. Each of them require very totally different uh, competences and capabilities. RPA, uh, for example, doesn't require you to crunch huge amounts of data and understand what's in the data. Uh, whereas when you have AI, you need to understand these enormous amounts and vast amounts of uh, PDFs and, and files and so on and start crunching it. And um, that's where you start also having issues such as bias and, and so on. Um, and then exactly as you said, Nina, you know, that then becomes starts and becomes really interesting when you start combining these different technologies and, and augmenting them and so on. But uh, yeah, so so I, I really find it super important. Where do you draw the line between these different powerful technologies, you know, RPA, BPM, 
analytics, AI, and even AI is a huge family of technologies, right? Machine vision and so on. So how do you draw the line between all of them? And how do you map it to different processes in the organization so that you maximize value? And whom do you hire or whom do you partner up with in order to solve all these individual types of solutions? I'll leave mm -hmm. it there um, and hand over to you. Um, I can, yeah, I can, I can um, ship in here a little bit because I don't think it's that they are not totally different. Um, it's, it's a part of a life cycle. So, so there are data engineers that is crunching and, and filtering the data and so on. And then there is a data scientist that uh, understands the data and, uh, um, and creates the actual, um, yeah, the model. And then you have the, uh, the engineers that are kind of automating the end-to-end -end process of deployment, the, the continuous integration and, and deployment. So, so they all need to work together. I don't think they are, um, I mean, even if we we're talking about RPA, someone would need to understand the data uh, at some point, perhaps not those people that are doing it, but the data management has to be, um, my opinion at least, uh, handled somewhere um, because we are handling, uh, handling the data. Um, but just uh, to to go back to your question, Kenda, uh, uh, what are the risk benefits of AI and automation? I would say still very simple that it's kind of reduction of manual work, as, as also you all uh, mentioned, uh, faster and standardized decision making and higher accuracy to behavior classifications, for example, uh, like uh, fraudulent transactions. Uh, those kind of things. That's uh, that's very, I think that's very relevant at the moment. But then when we are talking about risks that are uh, kind of, uh, it, it's getting very interesting when we're talking about risks, um, perhaps in more advanced cases, uh, like for example, the uh, I have heard a lot of about deep fakes uh, and so on. <laughs> that is a security risk. Uh, that is not, at least for me, it's uh, quite far away from what I'm doing uh, at the moment or what we are doing at the moment. So, so that is my take on, on the risks and benefits. And then I have also a question or a, my question is around, um, around, what, around biases, which is also a, a risk to in different, uh, different angles. Lovely. Handing and over to Matthias, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, of course, we lost Matthias for, for a moment there, but um, yeah, we're still on the first question. So what are the risks of, and benefits of AI and automation? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of benefits, obviously. And then in Ericsson, we heard that, you know, it's built into a lot of the products already. And I think that will be the case also for banking and, and healthcare and other industries. So I think that we're starting to see what the benefits might be uh but i i so let's but, but on the risk side i think that the risks to me right now the the risk is uh more on the data side so more on the you know how you treat the data that feeds these models uh in general right um 
So it is, and the risk there is, I think, is that we are not, um, we, at least from what I've seen, there's been a lot of focus on automation from a tooling and technology perspective over the past few years. Uh, and I think maybe that's the emergence of RPA and, you know, chatbots and other stuff that is not, you know, they feed on data to some extent, but they, they are rule based more or less. I know chatbots are, you know, not rule based in, in that sense, but the risk is quite low. But when we, but, but, but there's been less focus on data and, and how we use data and, and, um, I think there is where the biggest risk is, and there I think it's 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 a bit comforting to hear that we um, or to see that in Europe we have these, you know, we have GDPR, uh, we have the AI Act, uh, we have um, you know Digitalization Act. These 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 regulations are cumbersome and you know difficult, but at the same time I think Europe's the way Europe is going now, like taking the third way and not going the Chinese way where you just implement stuff or not going the American way where the, gi the giants sort of dictating the terms. I kind of like that in a way. Um, but I think there's still there's still there's still a lot of uh, yeah, lot to be handled on the data side. Uh, that, that's where we are trying to uh, pick up the, the learnings now. How do we handle those risks? Definitely. Kanda, did you add anything else just to add to that just before we move on to the next question? I know. I mean, I think uh, very good uh, inputs and very good insights. And yes, uh, data is an issue uh, and uh, as well the different uh, technologies that we use. And I, like uh, Nina said, there's also a lot of issues around, uh, you know, for instance, bias and so on. Yeah, I think it's really good uh, insights. And it looks like uh, for me, I'm happy. It looks like it's uh, we're all more or less aligned and talking the similar things, even though we are coming from completely different industries. So that's also a nice thing to hear and reflect upon. So we're looking at uh, facing the common at least risks and the benefits, of course. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Does anybody else have anything to add before we move on to the next question? Can I just say, I, I just realized uh, that I think we were meant to be uh, responding a bit to Kanda's question. Then we go to the next question, right? That was a bit yeah. the idea. So, uh, Kanda, then I, <laughs> but if I may just uh, add a little bit to your uh, to your point uh, uh, about risks and, and what you mentioned before. So I, I if I just fill this a bit, <laughs> because I think I jumped a bit to my question there too early. Um, but uh, yeah, risks, absolutely what you discussed before, <clears throat> automation and also the concerns about, you know, labor and so on in this organize in organizational settings are very important. The potential on both sides are humongous, right? That uh, a bit what I mentioned, I think it was to your point that you can automate huge amounts and you can really, there's profound changes in society uh, coming ahead of us in, in any sector. Uh, which also requires everyone to really think about what it what it means uh, for us in society. Are we going to what are we going to do with completely new new settings uh, when people are losing jobs that are highly repetitive and so on? How do we move this to the next level? How can we, you know, what what do we do if um, what do we do if you have this big transformation and uh, we need to educate, re-educate many many people? biases which were mentioned before another humongous risk but at the same time you know i personally people call me an optimist an ai optimist often because i see also this in humongous uh, up to, up to, upturns you know by use, utilizing ai to start solving and addressing cancer and so on so uh, so i hope i could um, 
jump in and uh, recover a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Like like you mentioned as well, we've um, I suppose you um, you've done a great introduction earlier uh, into your question, Christian. So we'll um, we'll jump straight into that one now. Um, so, what is the impact um, of different automation technologies, and how do they complement each other? Um, we've touched on this a little bit. If you'd like to give a bit more background, um, and then we'll let everyone jump in, that'd be great. Yeah, sure, sure. And and I maybe I just uh, summarize what I mentioned before, whereby you know, yeah, automation technologies is essentially about looking at the enterprise, looking at the business processes, looking at the tasks that individuals are doing in the organization, and then uh, different types of technology, different type of automation technologies such as AI or RPA or perhaps even analytics, although it is more a representation technology, they can address some of these technologies. So. Uh, uh, I mentioned before this example of, uh, you know, receiving an email with with PDFs and invoice uh, invoices or purchase orders. You look and you break this down into every single step that a user would have to do today. Then some of these tasks qualify as RPA technology, which is essentially scripting technology. So everything you could do with a, you know, with a with a mouse and with a keyboard, you know, could be automated. It's highly deterministic. It requires totally different competences in terms of someone scripting it, whereas if you start having data-driven uh, parts of it, understanding what is inside the PDF technology, uh, inside the PDF, understanding what is meant, that requires some data-driven services. And for that, um, you tend to need people that have uh, that have uh, a very deep insight on algorithms, on the on, on uh, neural networks, on CNNs, on um, processing power that is required so you enter a totally different domain and then of course uh, to the and, and then what's related to this how do they complement each other to, to Nina's point you know you uh, in terms of a life cycle and in terms of providing a type of end-to-end -end solution that's where it becomes uh, that's where it becomes a holistic approach so obviously you don't you could use AI for every single task in an organization but a very many very simple ones such as downloading an attached PDF file from an email it will be overkill. Then that's sufficient, totally sufficient to have a very simple script doing this type of task. That's a bit the background. I'm curious to hear others on this, but I think it is very important for an organization and supplier to understand very strictly the difference. Uh, so not to not to over engineer and to under engineer the problem, not to overestimate the problem, not to underestimate. The problem. No, but I mean. Um you, you of course need to have a business case first. Uh, I, I would. It's not necessary, as you say, to put AI on everything because you don't need it. Uh, um, I think it's important to start with a business need um, so that you actually solve a, a problem with the uh, with the AI that you are building. Maybe I can uh, <coughs> jump in. Uh, well, if you, Nina, if you're finished, of course. Um, I mean, the way I see, I mean, uh, of course, there are a lot of different technologies uh, uh, when it comes to the automation and AI space, right? But to me, I think it's more, uh, you know, it, it's a transformation journey in how when you use what technologies, it's also some level of maturity that you need to have to also jump in and use of the technologies. So, for instance, if you're at a uh, earlier phase of a startup area when it comes to automation, you know, of course, uh, things like RPA is fairly a good choice to work because it gives you tangible benefits in the short term. 
and it's very clear and probably that's a starting point in many cases. But I also think uh, the more you work um, uh, with the automation, uh, you know, RPA and more and more, then you, uh, you get exposure to more complex use cases and and also you get to uh, face more problems uh, so that you need to then uh, look into other technologies that can help uh, help you in. Uh, so I don't think that you can directly jump in and uh, you know have a good understanding of technology on board, but it's such a gradual process. For instance, you know that you might be end up in a use case where you want to address the support uh, desk for or help desk. You know there you could uh, have this kind of a cognitive automation type of a, a technology where it can be the primary interface and do small things, and then you can go on. And other parts of the flow, maybe you need to have a low-code type of uh, technology where you can, if you have problems with integration with multiple systems, then you can create some kind of a wrap uh, wrap around of the apps. Then, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Christian, as well, it's the uh, you know AI kind of OCR type of thing, extracting information from PDF and invoices, and then you have machine learning, and there is lots of different technologies you can apply depending on the maturity and the different use cases you are approached to. But then you also like, like for instance, in our case, we are now looking into the zero touch flows where you basically take uh, the manual interven intervention or manual activities out of the equation and you want all this technology work together on top of your core IT systems. So that is where all the technology kind of comes and works together with the concept, concept of intelligent automation or hyper automation, like you know what Nina mentioned as well. Of course, you'll have more, more uh, um, issues in that journey as well, like uh, integration and so on. But however, uh, um, uh, that's a good way. And but also when you get to this point, you also need to build, bring in some other industri industrialization platforms. But now, for instance, we are also looking into democratization, right? There we are like basically taking uh, automation AI to the edge. You know, then you have uh, citizen data scientists where the domain experts can, you know, leverage these platforms and rely less on data scientists. And then you have this automation citizen developers and so on as well. So all of this will also require then other kind of platforms that needs to come in. And then you go into the future that even more things are happening, unimals and hyper, uh, not uh, sorry, uh, was it uh, homomorphic encryption, all of that. So. So the answer is that uh, it's a maturity, and as you mature, you will you will find the right technologies to apply for the right use cases. Mm. And just to your point there, if I understood correctly, this you mean essentially like low code environments, right? When you have the citizenship data scientists, or maybe you enable the entire organization to utilize uh, these types of technologies without any technical skill of any sort, right? So the bit of drop yeah, and that's the ambition, exactly, because you know data scientist as such is quite scarce, for instance. Then yeah. you can use the domain experts with some level of training. Maybe they could work. Yeah. Or if you're a data scientist, also these platforms can help you in speed up in data preparations or whatnot. You know, so there is a lot of benefits with these uh, platforms as well. Then that platforms also you need to onboard. So there are so many different technologies, but it really, let's say, let me put it this way: fit for purpose uh, technologies. We need to, that's how probably we should approach it. Matthias, yeah. did you have yeah. something to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say I, I very much agree to that, that uh, the maturity, that it's a maturity, Roma. I, I used to be thinking maybe four years ago, five years ago. You need to remember that, you know, we started to talk about AI in general only like a few years ago, like, you know, 18 maybe. In 18, everybody talked about AI. Before that, it was chatbots and before that was, you know, RPA in 15. So it's not very long in, in like in outside of Google's and, and the others. But I think that, and but I used to think in the beginning that we should, you know, we need to we need to think 10x. We need to sort of transformational change, you know, move move fast, break things, and all that stuff. And I've come to realize that it's not it doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way in large enterprises uh, that are born at least you know, more than 20 years ago. Or you know, in a startup, you can set you can set things up from from scratch, right? And and you can be you know hyper automated by design from scratch. But when you're going to change a, a large enterprise like Ericsson or or Swedbank or Nordea, I think you need to take these more smaller steps. And as you take these steps, you know, it's like a snowball. It gets sort of it starts out small and then you start seeing more things and you see more things and then and then things happen. But I think that the the hockey stick or the, the real true transformation effect we haven't really seen yet, right? We've seen some nice efficiency gains across the plate and maybe maybe in some industries more. Uh, uh, but in banking, I still think that in the financial crime area, yeah, there is some nice, I think, some great, great stuff being done and in maybe in the personalization space. But um, to, 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 to bring a whole organization to do stuff at scale, you know, with an automation that takes time and it's it's these steps that you need to. Uh, that you mm. need to, you know, I think, take uh, for people to learn. Mm. And it, I think if I may add, it, I feel it ties nice, nicely into what Kanda mentioned before at the end because it is related to the ROIs and the sponsors. Uh, if you are an organization and established enterprises, uh, of which we have many in Europe, whether it's finance or banking or forestry or manufacturing, then the DNA of that company is not algorithmic thinking. It's not what how what how much more data we can add to the product in order for it to be better. It's still uh, it's still very much the core of the products produced in this organization. So disruptive introduction of uh, of, of very advanced high tech technologies is is a very it's a very different type of thing there and. Um, and the articulation of these processes and the and these AI services uh, with relationship to ROIs, um, they are they have a very different flavor. If you were to uh, offer or propose such a thing in Amazon or Google, uh, I have many friends there. There's often an appreciation as to how long these projects would take and what ROI they would would enable. Whereas in more established companies, uh, most of the stakeholders are not. Uh, let's say data natives and AI natives. So the, the the process needs to be either more wider or uh, yeah, or it is just there's a higher danger for the RI expectations to be too optimistic in the organization. So I felt there was a relationship between these two points that you brought up. Maybe mm. you agree, disagree, but hmm. I think it's 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 a lot of sensing that is it's almost like we as humans or we as employees in these companies we are like sensors right and we we take in this new information constantly and then you know and and we uh, we we learn and we send it back to the uh, you know to to to, <clears throat> to people to solve problems and then you know continuously learn uh, hopefully right uh, I think um, yeah. I think it's very much about the rate of learning, uh, so have a steep rate of learning as possible. Definitely, lovely. And so moving on to uh, to Nina's question um, now then. Um, so Nina, your question is, um, how big of an issue is algorithmic bias caused by bad data? So if you'd like to give a bit of background yes. behind that question. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this question is more of a, um, I have heard a lot uh, in different, uh, this, this uh, question is coming up uh, everywhere, um, as well as we, when we started to this, this discussion, uh, that there is um, 
this is happening. So uh, there is uh, algorithmic bias caused by bad data. Um, but then my angle to this is how how big of an issue is it for us, and uh, does the society and um, us that is working with AI, do we expect AI to be completely unbiased or do we in general have kind of tolerance for now and at least the nearest future? Because um, going back to where kind of Matthias uh, touched upon that we are not, uh, most of the companies or the, the large enterprises are not that uh, advanced to be to be affected uh, by a scale on uh, about uh, unbiased data. Perhaps if we have some bad algorithm or bad data in terms of incomplete data uh, or like insufficient training data or data collection, uh, that is perhaps um, affecting us at the moment. But um, the real effects uh, that is kind of uh, that is out there and you can read about and it's, uh, you know, you discriminate and so on. Um, so this is a question. Is this, uh, have you seen that this is an issue at the moment that, for example, if we talk about banks, uh, do we really uh, discriminate, for example, if we, um, let's say that we have a case where we are uh, giving rates. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone have have done something so advanced at the moment uh, in here, but um, uh, do we discriminate like when we are doing advertising or so on? So that is my question and my angle. And you are free to ship in. Uh, I mean, uh, if you don't mind, I can uh, jump in. Uh, right? I mean, uh, well, the the issue you're bringing up uh, is definitely it is an issue, you know, for sure, you know. Uh, and uh, maybe we are not uh, noticing uh, this uh, uh, as much as uh, we should, and maybe we are not also applying this in certain use cases where this is, becomes a bit more obvious. So, uh, I mean, here also I'd like to take a step back, right? I mean, even as a humans, we all have uh, biases as well, uh, sub unconscious bias. I probably all heard about it based on some things that happened at some point in time and, and we don't even remember, but still we have certain bias towards age or race or what gender, whatnot. Uh, but similarly, I do believe uh, when it comes to the AI and ML algorithms, uh, it, it can end up uh, picking up certain patterns, uh, you know, based on the data that you said, you know, the training data that you feed into the model. But however, I'm not sure uh, it is uh, going to be a bad data. You know, maybe the beta data itself can be the right data, but still you might end up in a bias. But let me give an example, just as, as you're in the bank industry, right? I mean, let's say you're creating an algorithm uh, for a banking or for home loans or whatnot. And let's say you um, feed it real data, you know, historically, you know, for many years you collected the data and you're feeding using that to the train the model. Let's say you're kind of uh, grouping the people in two different age groups, young and let's say old. And then you see also see the younger age group, uh, let's say have lo low income. And let's say this data shows that 70% of the people who defaulted the loan are actually belongs to the young group and the opposite for the, you know, the, the older group. So with, with this, uh, as an, of course, an arbitrary example, so this could very well be a bias that uh, it will end up that the algorithm kind of generalizes the pattern and say anybody who's young mm. 
uh, will default the loan. But so that is or it's sort of bad. It's a bad sort of favorable, let's say, uh, persons you want to hand out the loans. But this is where I think we we can talk about this white box, back black box uh, algorithms, right? I mean, where the designers in in the white box uh, actually can really understand what are the outcomes from the AI ML algorithms and why it is uh, producing certain outcomes desired or not desired compared to the black box, even the designer don't understand what is it coming out of it, you know. I think that's why even we are doing a lot of this explainable AI, right? So we work with that and see, okay, so we have to be, everyone has the right to know why the AI uh, ML algorithm works in a certain way. So I think that is probably the way we need to go and make sure everything is white box and explainable to address that. Mm. But it is an issue and I don't know if we are putting a lot of efforts to even to understand how much of a bias is there today. I will stop there. Maybe a bit of a long explanation. Yeah, I, I may agree that this is a real problem and we see real examples uh, around uh, um, around these data driven uh, solutions. Um, and it's um, yeah, the way I see it now, the 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 key, the, the challenge for me as a bank, we, we don't we don't do high risk products so much. We don't do credit scoring. We don't do uh, stuff like that. Um, and the, the risk to me is still in the, on the data side and rather on the algorithmic side. The algorithm is relatively sort of static compared to you know the data flows, data changes. Then the algorithm need to be retrained, of course. Um, um, but I, uh, I think that the may, maybe the more the more data, the one thing is to to make sure that you ha that you have sort of guidelines and that you know how to to create uh, you know a model that it's not biased, right? But even if you don't mm -hmm. have gender as an input to the model, you still might get you know the the, the model still might be biased because you have other parameters that are proxies for gender, right? So it's it's not intentional, but it's unintentional. And the only way to sort of make sure that you uh, reduce risk here is to to do proper testing and, and that you really know what you're doing, I guess. Um, so um, that that's just kind of one angle that I'm thinking about when you when you when you're talking about this this uh, this risk and and this um, um, yeah this 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 problem. And I, I think it it little bit ties into the next question around trust because unless you know having a good idea of these underlying system and and how they work and and how these sort of models made the decisions that they made contextually um and have some controls in place then then you might be in trouble right and then you run the risk of of getting biases and stuff and then yeah then you lose the trust from customers from others Mm. Uh, just a very quick one, uh, Nina. I think uh, mm. I, uh, in the uh, telecom world uh, or in the, our world, we probably don't uh, notice uh, bias uh, the same level. But however, uh, uh, from the network I have and the conferences I've been, I hear examples mainly coming from the banking industry, uh, mm. you know, kind mm. of some kind of a bias. Like if I also remember, I think it was Finland or Norway also came up uh, with some law around uh, this as well. How did this ethical AI, you know, how do, how are we doing that? Yeah. 
So, so it is uh, an issue uh, fairly known. So I'll just stop that. So back to you, Christine. Uh, no, but absolutely. I I started with saying that it is a known issue. Um, so it's definitely a known issue, and uh, uh, it's there. But um, my angle was that okay, how how much of an issue is this compared to what we are doing otherwise? Uh, so, so for example, if we have simpler models, uh, if AI can improve. Uh, improve the the model or the outcome uh, isn't that better than than uh, you know than the before even if it is biased a little bit biased of course we should take the mitigations uh, what Matthias mentioned that we should uh, cautiously uh, kind of um, um, make sure that we are not we are not doing anything to you know cautiously to to not bias things. But if we have a little level of bias, is that, uh, do you think that it's expected by people that, you know, AI would be completely unbiased and, and excellent? Uh, so is it, isn't it enough that we can just improve things at the moment? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a that's a good good question, and I think I, I I think previously I was often contemplating the question: Can we have an have can we have an, an AI that's more ethical than the than than humans? Right. So is such a thing even yeah. possible? Is there an, is it possible that all of us agree on a superior universal ethics uh, regarding AI? It sort of goes into this direction, and usually it's uh, it's uh, it's not not the case. Then I can say I'm actually on a couple of boards. So when it comes to responsible AI, AI ethics, as a Springer uh, Springer uh, series that have started two years ago uh, on AI and ethics, we published quite heavily in that one, and also in Germany is another board. So very hot topic, no doubt. But then to be very honest, the deeper you go into this, um, the more you also realize that what what does bias actually mean? So biased data doesn't actually exist. That's an oxymoron. You can have uh, biased models. But then, for example, every machine learning model is a discrimination model, right? So one has to understand it's statistics. The only thing AI does is to discriminate and classify. That's the power of AI. If you were to if you were to take all this out, then you have you don't need AI. Then you just do a, a simple distribution across the board, right? But the main thing an AI does is, is you know sees patterns and then replicates this. Uh, into the into the real world. So um, uh, sometimes for me, it's a bit of uh, an odd question. In statistics, by the way, uh, when you actually have biased models or biased estimators, what it means is that your um, estimator is over or underestimating the population parameter. So in other words, you are, if I just typed in, you know, blue person and red person in Google, I just for, for fun, just for just in this moment, right? So what you get is only men that are either blue or red. But not, mm-hmm. not it's not fifty percent men that are blue and fifty percent women, right? So that's just how the AI would be putting together the semantics in the background and and spits out this type of data. So it's uh, if you were to take that away, then you wouldn't need Google wouldn't need to have AI algorithms in the background. Yeah, this was a huge topic for sure, but no easy answers. Mm. But it's a good point, right? Like Christine said, I mean, I also touched upon humans do have bias, bias, some some kind of bias. We do all have. Then is it fair to ask uh, the AI to uh, not to be hundred percent biased or not? Yeah, it's a more philosophical question. Uh, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, for some cases, for example, in recruiting, uh, if you are going to automate some kind of uh, recruiting process and 
you want the AI to be less discriminating uh, and just look at some parameters. So you want it to be less discriminating than a human being. Uh, then, then of course that's uh, that's what you want it to do, and it should do it should do like that and be less discriminating. Um, but but then we go again back to kind of what is our expectations on the AI? Because if uh, if we if everyone could understand more about that, what is the options to this AI that is discriminating a little bit? Uh, but a human being would discriminate more. So this is a better option, uh, at least for the moment until we uh, improve uh, the technologies and the, the way of working and so on. Mm. Yeah, and I think that the uh, a way to way to um, go about this, uh, one of the ways to go about this is to make, to use the AI as sort of augmenting people, uh, at least in the first step. So keep people in the loop. You know, improve the performance of people and make sort of, yeah, make people plus machine better than only people or only AI. Um, so, for example, we do that with some of our use cases around claims handling or um, customer feedback handling or uh, financial crime uh, handling that we sort of use AI uh, tooling to improve, to make our employees superpower, give them superpowers in a way. So, um, that also takes away the risk compared to just introducing an AI system that is autonomous. Um, uh, yeah, to some extent. Lovely. Yeah, definitely some really good points, sir. So we'll move on now just to um, to the final question, which is, of course, uh, Matthias's question. So how do you get trust from business users? Uh, Matthias, if you'd like to give a bit of background and we'll go ahead and jump straight in. Yeah, it's it's a little bit about how you build trust in AI in general, I would say. Uh, but we and, and in business users. So I have, you know, we have some experience where we've developed what we think is nice, really nice uh, tools that can improve. You know, uh, let's let's use pricing as an example. You know, have a better pricing model than the current rule-based um, simple one. But unless you know, unless there's a, a clear understanding, I guess unless you invest in adoption uh, in these people, uh, they you know you will fail. Uh, there could be many ways of failing. Could be like uh, unwillingness to take it on by by you know by the business user. Could be like uh, unwillingness to to take the risk by some compliance people, or could be uh, you know other other things as well. Um, so it's it's really what I, but it's it's a common saying I guess uh, that you need to invest in adoption. But I can really see this with with AI. You know, um, we we develop some churn model churn prevention models, for example. Unless you you know you can you trust it, you don't want to put it in the hands of these less in the hands of people who call customers or or send out you know messages. That's that's what I found. So. Um, so trust can mean like I understand to I, I understand enough to to use this and embrace it. Um, that that could be like one one uh, one angle to this, but also there's a trust in general in terms of senior people to be willing to invest more money into this AI thing, right? Uh, or in second and third line uh, to. Uh, 
today trust the business to use these tools or in you know the regulatories so trust goes across you know many stakeholders of course uh, for the sake of this discussion and we only have a few minutes left maybe you know focus on businesses uh, is enough for now but i hope that sort of that that's my thinking and i'm happy to hear what you guys how you think about this yeah maybe Shall I give, have a shot here? Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think trusting a tr trusting a system also from a user. If you just start from a user perspective, very important. Um, and in fact, my psychology thesis was was on that topic. You know, how do you trust AI systems? What can you implement? You know, an AI, a system without AI and a system with AI, and how do you can how can you build trust with the user? Then also, I I have a, the stance um, that if you are uh, want to build trust building that trust will be very individual from person to person every person will see a different type of uh, something that they would find important to build trust with so some would like to have explainability so they would like an ai to explain why uh, a loan was rejected or something they, they want a very thorough explanation others want for example results they want they want accuracy so they rather would like to have a let's say a diagnosis on a melanoma with a very highest accuracy and not necessarily uh, more explanations. So I think it's it's a, on a very individual basis, you know, how you what the expectations are in terms of how to build build trust. And I think we are now also in the process of building many of these mechanisms. You know, we discussed already. Kanda mentioned explainability, transparency, black box, white box type type approaches. And the reality is that the real heavy AI systems, CNN, RNNs, neural networks, as of today, they are unexplainable. That's just a reality. And um, DARPA in the US has, has now invested uh, 2.5 billion uh, over the last two years to just make them slightly more explainable. Uh, because essentially it's like explaining a very, very, very complex neural networks with mathematical numbers into plain text. And that is just very, very, it's un, it's not a not solved it's a non-solved problem yet right <laughs> but it, it 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 gives a lot of you can also build trust by results so if you have a re result which together with a doctor gives you 96% accuracy in a certain diagnosis of a disease as opposed to let's say only 70% which only the existing traditional system does i think um, for me uh that also is something that builds trust because the system um delivers and i stop here Yeah, I was also going to bring up the kind of successful uh, POCs or successful cases that you can actually uh, brag about uh, that is uh, that has solved something. But something I um, uh, I have thought of when I worked at Nordea, and I think I worked with uh, with one of your teams, uh, Matthias, is that uh, it was very difficult for you to first of all get hold of the data. And then you came from kind of outside and trying to solve someone else's problem, which they already were, um, they were already handling that and they give, give a chance to see if, if this is, can be, you know, improved. And that is, uh, uh, that is quite uh, difficult because uh, everyone is in a rush uh, to do things and uh, the invest investments are, uh, it's hard to get. Uh, so I would say it would be easier if you would be more integrated in the 
in some of the businesses uh, or having a business of your own. For example, if you would, if you would um, head up, for example, the, the credit department somewhere and then have an AI there, then you could, uh, instead of doing the, the kind of the old way thing, you would just replace that with AI. Because when you have both, then uh, you would take the fastest and more, uh, more understandable that you understand. Mm. Uh, another thing is the education part, that if, if everyone understands it more, then perhaps they would yeah, change it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. One of my many, many learnings over the past few years. Uh, one thing that I found, we haven't done it extensively yet, but we have done it a few times. And one thing that I believe in is, is to try to do like challenger models. So you, you, you put challenger models next to, you know, your, your, your current models and you don't, you don't, you, you put them in production, but you don't use them, but you, you see how they perform, right? And you get to know them in a way. And then, uh, and, and, and by getting to know them, you kind of start to build trust. Uh, and at some point uh, it, it will be trusted enough that people will say, yeah, let's replace what we have with this one. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, very good point there. Um, you know, on the uh, uh, how you actually do these projects as well together. Uh, maybe I can take uh, like a minute and keep it short with a little bit over time, I believe. I mean, I can maybe uh, a bit generalize in what, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, Matthias, you know, looking into more the management part as well as the users part. So I believe, I think uh, trust is uh, something from my experience is just happens at some point in time and doesn't really, you know, we cannot just say it's, they're going to trust us. It just happens in my mind. And also the, the way I, we, uh, our experience is that, you know, you have a good relationship with a good understanding, but the key is that, you know, we need to also kind of show them that there is an evidence that we actually have the capability to deliver uh, uh, solutions or develop solutions, whatnot. Uh, and also uh, it should also work the way the business users or the business intended it to work. And also with that shows tangible value, reali value realization, you know, the a combination of this will definitely, I think, uh, over time will bring trust. I mean, we can have uh, compelling uh, proposals and whatnot, you know, and strategies, and even you can bring uh, best uh, references from uh, industry and so on. But I think that will create curiosity or credibility from what you're saying, but unless it actually it works and they see it themselves and it's adding value for them, mm -hmm. I don't think there's going to be trust. Mm -hmm. uh, but however, there is a need to, for the management or the top management to trigger this or push a little bit at least to show hey this is something AI is important for us mm. so so that that we can take the path and then build these capabilities and mm. eventually make sure it works the way it is intended for the business to work you know so that's kind of my take on uh, your uh, question Matthias great Oh, lovely. Thank you very much for um, for everyone's point there. Um, so yeah, we'll leave it there. So thank you very much for everybody uh, for being involved today. I appreciate that.